Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and good morning. It is morning. Um, it is, what day are we on today? It's not, it is literally uh been i've been in a, in a crazy world it's the third of march i'm back i've just got back from dubai you might can tell if you're watching live or back i've got a got a nice little bronze tan off my couple of week holiday um i had a week's break from the podcast last week but we are back and uh yeah i've been up since 3 30 this morning it's 11 o'clock so it feels like it's uh evening time to me a bit of jet lag um but i'm excited i'm always excited for this show but today i'm super excited um I'm joined by Stuart White, and Stuart is the co-founder um, of a business called Provide, a specialist recruitment company, 21 years old, um, currently going through an acquisition with a business called the TXM Group, which is super exciting. And uh, Stuart's moved, what I, what I find really interesting about Stuart's journey is he's gone from your classic kind of recruitment owner story to now running their RPO division. He's director um, of strategic partnerships. So um, he's, he's got a target on his head, and he's got all these different things going on, and yeah, I think it's just an incredible story of growth, um, exit planning, all sorts that, you know, every recruitment owner in the market seems to be chasing. Right, let's get into today's episode and I'm going to bring Stuart inside. Welcome to the Rags podcast, Stuart. Cheers, Sean. Yeah, thanks for the intro. That was uh, yeah, very, uh, very complimentary of you. Did you do it justice? I think so. Maybe. We'll see in a minute, I suppose, won't we? Well, I always try. I always try. But my first question, as always, will be: Tell us about yourself. Give us, give us a better overview, not of your whole story, because we're going to do that. But just, how would you describe who you are and your role today? Okay, keeping it really simple. So you, I think you've alluded to the fact that I I lead our RPO managed service division, but um, there's just no ivory towers in the role that I do. Um, I am still very hands on as a recruitment consultant. So I have an allocated target on a monthly basis and a quarterly basis. I've got targets to hit um, and I've got clients to work with and I'm still filling key positions with some of the clients that we're working with to facilitate better working, better working relationships. So yeah, I'm, I'm still very hands-on as a recruiter, first and foremost, business owner, secondary. Wow, and that, tell us just how big is Provide as an organization? So at the moment, in terms of headcount, we're probably at one of the lowest headcounts post-COVID, but we're, we're sitting around 23, 24 right. people at the moment. We've been into the 40s. I can talk to you a bit about that at a later yeah. stage. Um, but um, turnover-wise, we're sitting around 11, 
11 million turnover at the moment. So, yeah. Okay. And you're, we're going to get into it, but you're joining, you're going to become part of a much bigger business, aren't you, TXM? Yeah, which is what I'm, we, I am certainly really excited about because it, yeah. for us, this is then a new chapter and it's a chapter we've all been striving for. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get into all that, but let's go back. So yeah. um, 21 years in the game. Tell us what were you doing before you got you started provide? What was the journey? A really high level. What was the journey to get? Um, I think it's textbook story. I went to university. My, I think my parents convinced me that if I didn't go to higher education, I'd just be a dropout and a failure. So I did. I was into sport. I was I, I was a competitive swimmer, and it was quite serious. So I ended up going to Loughborough. Um, studied uh, German and economics, and ended up then thinking that I was going to be some high-flying investment German banker. <laughs> well, well, yeah, maybe I should have done that. Um, yeah, no. So went into banking, got a job with Morgan Stanley for my year out. Did, yeah, uh, looked at that. On you, yeah, man. I lived in Frankfurt for a year. That was brilliant. That's how you really learn the language when you're living in a country, right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, and then after that, um, graduated and managed to get a job with Merrill Lynch. And then we went, I went out to New York for a year. And that was probably, well, that was an amazing time, right? I was 20 or 20. And I had a fully expensed apartment right by the Hudson River. And, and it was brilliant. And loved New York. What were you doing? Amazing. What was your actual job? Investment banking? Yeah. So we were on a graduate rotation program. So I started. So basically, the, the idea was that they rotated us across a number of areas, front office, back office, ops, tech. Um, and when we went out to New York, um, well, the first six months pretty much was all to do with front office trading. And the most important thing was passing a thing called the Series 7 exam, which is basically the exam that traders have to pass to trade on the right. New York Stock Exchange. Hardest thing I've ever done. I failed it the first time. I failed it by 2%. It's a three and a half hour multiple choice test. Uh, passed it the second time round. Um, came back to London. What started working on the rotational program, and um, and and finished in the tech in the tech area. So I was I was um, I basically chose to go across technology. So this was technology that supports in the front office. Yeah. Bit of a geek, bit of a closet geek. Loved loved all that stuff. Really liked the people, and decided that's where I wanted to be. Um, and and it was at that point that I realized, actually, deep down, maybe this wasn't the right career. And at that point, we were doing a thing called the Y2K project. Right. And this was all about some, and I'm sure some listeners will have no idea what this was about. Well, we, I think we know what Y2K means, right? I hope people Yeah, know. yeah, year 2000, right? Mm -hmm. But the point was, from a technology standpoint, everybody was up in arms thinking, as soon as these clocks turn to 2000, mm -hmm. the world's going to end. Yeah. So it, 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 it basically created this environment where, you know, people were being paid ridiculous day rates to work on all these big legacy systems to ensure that when it did, that things wouldn't collapse, especially over banking space. And I got to meet some really interesting people. And one of the guys that I met was talking about setting up his own recruitment business. And I didn't even know what it was. He said, mm. Look, you know, I've got this idea and, uh, you know, you seem like someone who could get on well with people. Do you want to join me? And, and I, I turned him down initially. But um, I had my own idea about graduate recruitment and my experience as a graduate and how basically well pretty crap it was to be honest you know the milk rounds that we saw at our university were, were really good you know free fish and chip suppers endless amounts of beer and da 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 but we were only seeing the big players you know the bts the cisco's the banks yeah. and and i i wanted to see something different and i never did i'm really grateful for the fact that i met the team at merrill's because then i got my opportunity to get into banking but 
that sort of jaded me a little bit and it sort of left me thinking why don't we disrupt this space because it's it's just a bit dusty you know it's only the big players that can get on onto campus what about the small to medium sized business especially the tech businesses that aren't being represented and and then so over a few beers and a few drunken conversations i sort of spilled out this idea and they said well look i'll tell you what why don't come on board and we'll give you a slice of the cake and you run the graduate recruitment piece and we'll see where we go from there. And that's then how I got into recruitment because that's really sort of where it started. And it was graduate recruitment initially. So you'd never actually worked in recruitment. You'd just worked in the industry. And yeah. then had the, had the other guy worked in recruitment? Nope. He was a, he was a, he was a Y2K contractor. Yeah. So neither so, of you knew what you were doing, really? No, we knew that there was a market. Yeah. He's got a lot of contacts. He was sort of looking at, and then we partnered up with somebody who did have experience. So he, another director came on board from Hayes hmm. and he set the framework up. And my job was to go out basically and start talking to universities, heads of departments. We were going after the tech space. So the concept was really simple. Um, talk to the top, and I can say this because at the time it was the top 15 to 20 universities for computer science, software engineering, electronic engineering. Yeah. Get in bed with the heads of departments, do a deal with them and say, well, look, if we take the donkey work off your finalists shoulders and, and, and give them a, an opportunity to see companies they'd never dream of seeing to work with, take that sort of the administrative side off their hands and let them get on to secure the best degree cl uh, classification that they can um, secure. All we need in return is give us 30 minutes bolted on at the back end of a compulsory lecture where three, 400 students are and we'll do the pitch. And then on the client side, it was an easy sell. Well, I'm going to give you access to these highly talented graduates that will be yours exclusively over a period of time, which will give you the opportunity to put you on a pedestal above the Cisco's and the BT's who just invite people to come. We literally turned up with a projector, a laptop and gate crashed a compulsory lecture and yeah. put on this razzmatazz presentation and it, um, and it worked. Yeah. I mean, and it was really well timed because um, in parallel to Y2K, we had um, we had the whole new era of the dot com explosion. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and we were in London at the time. And I remember, in fact, I was just thinking about this before. And I remember sitting in cafes and in Farringdon and, you know, on one table, you'd have Jamie Oliver, who was talking about his cooking app and then, is it Michael Fish, the weather reporter, talking about his, this weather app that they were going to do? And you could actually, wouldn't it be great if we could have this app on your phone where we could it'll tell you what the weather is? <laughs> I mean, okay, we've come a long way since, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But these tech companies were just spinning out from nowhere. And they were all looking for, if I'm honest, you know, cheap resource, but talented resource. So that was graduate recruitment. So, that, mm. so we had the best of work, both worlds. We had a perfect storm. We had good supply because we could get hold of really talented grads and also good demand, strong yeah. demand yeah yeah exactly um yeah and then the thing took off it, it it just took off it was hard work it took off we had two years of doing exceptionally well we signed some major deals i mean we got into we got in uh we, we secured a massive partnership with arm in cambridge they were wow. only in the hundreds at the time but we ran all of their graduate recruitment, a big retainer deal. I remember actually because they paid us with a check and we photo we photocopied it and then framed it in the office. Um, what was that worth? Over 100k. Yeah. And two, and, you know, two 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 guys who I was 22, 20, no, I was 23, 24. My business partner at the time, Dan Brazier, was 20. 
you know so you know i mean and and that's that's how this thing started but and there's always a but right what goes up comes down so we all know that the dot-com thing just crashed and the market fell through and as quickly as basically we were recruiting we were we were having to lay people off we had a small team in in milk back in milton Keynes, and um and, and unfortunately the market just got pulled from underneath us yeah um and it was hard work i mean you know these are smaller margins high volume we had to do the milk rounds uh, twice a year so we had to go up and register candidates then we'd go up another second time and interview everybody it was it was hard graph but it was brilliant fun i mean it was great Hmm. So, you, how, how many years were you talking with that that rise and fall? So that was, I mean, that was literally. So it was two thousand and two, officially two thousand and two to about two thousand and four. Right. And at that point, uh, um, a friend of mine from school was working for Hayes IT, and um, you know he was the guy that turned up to the to the pub if ever there was a social. And I'd come back from uni driving the fastest car brand new already had a house and he was this recruiter which at the time i didn't take any notes of right i was going to be an investment banker i was taking on the world mm. but he seemed to have bigger faster and better things than i did and <laughs> anyway good good pal of mine he had a lot of tech recruitment experience so he came on board basically um just to rent some space in our office at the time and he was like lads i don't know what you're doing but you should just come on board with me and we'll we, we you know we'll start working the mid senior space in technology you've got a good grasp of how you deal with people i reckon mm. we can do this and and then that's when we officially then launch provide as a contingency perm contract recruitment business in in not the graduate market anymore and not it came out the grad market yeah right. so yeah. so of course we're still doing graduate recruitment it was always complementary to everything we did but that's when we started going after the bigger ticket stuff. And and was and yeah. Original, was that what I2K contractor still involved, the guy? No. So so basically he ended up he ended up um, quitting. So he went back into contracting right. because really he felt that actually he was better placed there. And he was. And mm. and and you know, him and I are still in contact. He's a good friend of mine. Mm. Um, so he came out of the business and then we took a fourth director in who worked for computer people. He was a contract recruiter. So we had myself a perm recruiter, a contract recruiter, and an MD. Right. And, and then we basically, um, we relocated back to my business partner's bedroom. So four of us worked in a bedroom. No way. And we built the thing from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, we worked in the back of a bedroom. And my business partner's mum used to come in at 11 o'clock, because that's the time we did it, with tea and coffee for us all. <clears throat> breaks at one, breaks at four, and then finish at about eight o'clock at night. Oh. And that's I mean, how it started. It sounds grim, I'll be honest. I'm sure it was, looking back, you'll have that rose-scented glass. It, it was brilliant, Sean. I, I I wouldn't change it for the world. I remember we did our first £20,000 month, and the four of us, it was on a Thursday afternoon, the placement was made, we'd hit £20,000, and we shut up shop, we booked flights to Prague, and we went to Prague for the weekend. <laughs> you know, and that, and, and that. I tell that, and I'm proud of that, <clears throat> because... That's how that's that's sort of why we got into it and then why we carried on. It was it was really it was great fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have helping companies scale and all of that. And I'll talk about that later. But when you're four young individuals who are just take on the world mode, those those and we those all really we all like relatively carefree mid 20s. Like, yeah, one of us was one of us had just married. Yeah. The other, the other, you know, the three of us was, was were yeah single or in very early relationships yeah, and, yeah. and the world was our oyster. 
incredible really time. Nice. It's an incredible time. When you look back, it's an incredible time of your life, that, isn't it? Where, like, oh, yeah. And it's yeah. and I'm proud of it, you know. And, yeah. I, and, it's, and they're great stories to tell our trainees who are, you know, our trainees rock up now to provide and everything's there for them. They've got yeah. L&D, they've got everything. And, you know, I talk about back of a bedroom and I had a database of 2,000 clients and I used to just call them every day getting more no's than yeses. And in the end, someone would bite and that was how I did BD. <laughs> mm. Fair. So what what happened after that then? So you you, you got the bedroom going. So we got how the bedroom did, how going. How did evolve after that? We got the bedroom going and then, um, and we, and basically, so fortunately, our MD's parents, family had just sold a, a big, a big business for, uh, yeah, tens of millions of pounds and they invested in us initially, but that was the only investment we got. We got given a chunk of money and, um, we were told, right, you've got pretty much 12 months run rate. You've got to make this work. So we literally worked all hours. God sent us, uh, as I said, the, you know, it, a lot of it was very much perm focused, but it just built up and built up. And then we got to a place 18 months in where we'd smashed our targets and thought, actually, we've got something here. Why don't we think about actually scaling the business? And then we went to we, we actually decided to um, acquire an office, not rent, but we, we decided to save for 12 months uh, a deposit to buy basically an office in Milton Keynes, a two story. Why, office. why buy one? What was Because it's an asset or? Yeah, at the time it was an asset. Biggest mistake we made. There was mm. whole tax implications when we came to sell it. Yeah. And again, it, but at the time we want, you know, we we're also high flying property developers. Our, our, what we were thinking of doing was actually each time, you know, we, when we've had good months and with the profit that we've got on a yearly basis, we won't draw dividends. We'll go and buy property. What we didn't realize was from a taxation perspective, it's just a nightmare. It's yeah. a nightmare. It's a nightmare with employees. And, and, and we had to unravel all of that. But we, we stopped as quickly as we started. So we did actually buy our first office in Milton Keynes. Um, and that was probably a 30-person office at the time. Um, and that was, a, that, again, that's an, an amazing milestone. You rock up from a bedroom to this brand-new purpose-built office for 30 people over two floors. And then, of course, you're in a different zone then. It's like, it's not about, you know, we've done £20,000. Let's shut up shop. We've got to go to Prague. It's right. We've got to scale now. We've actually got to bring people in. How are we going to do that? We're good recruiters for our clients. How are we going to do it for ourselves? And that was then the next yeah. part of our journey, which is how do we actually How build did you find that migration into leadership of others? Uh, tough, I think, because I think the, the biggest bucket of cold water that you get well you get a bucket of cold water thrown on you in the realization that actually people you're bringing into the business are not as dialed in as you are you know mm. they're employees they're not founders and there mm. is a, a noticeable difference and how do you how do you drive motivation in your staff as much as you've got motivation to try and keep the lights on and keep everybody fed you know and and i think it was a, a case of for me well i you know I, i'm happy to do 14 hour days why isn't everyone else doing it you know surely they're as motivated as I am to earn great money. Yeah. But it's different. And we know that now. Um, and there are different drivers for different people. So yeah, that was a that was a real turning point for us, which is four of us all working to the greater good is one thing. When you start to go to, you know, the first banding for us was getting to 10 people. That was actually quite easy. Bringing in 10 people was actually quite, quite easy. It was it, it because we had a really, we had a very current business. There were a lot of there were some established IT recruitment companies in Milton Keynes, but yeah. they were a bit old hat. We were the new kids on the block. We were trying to do things differently. Um, we were very thorough with how we put management process in, training for our team. Um, 
and we were winning people left, right and centre. So the first wave of growth was was dead easy for us. Um, and, and actually probably the most enjoyable bit. That sort of up to 10 people was, yeah, they were good times. And what happened after that? So that's when it gets really interesting because that's when we we made a decision quite early on in our development that we just didn't want to be this lifestyle business we've mm. and and, I, and i'm and i'm i'm really proud of that not that a lifestyle business has any negative connotations because don't get me wrong there are moments where i want to pull the parachute and just have a lifestyle business right because and i'm sure this resonates well with other individuals out there but um that was a turning point for us because we made the decision that actually wanted to grow this thing out and i remember we took a weekend out we went and did this big planning weekend there was again the four of us and rmd at the time was very much runs everything off a spreadsheet so it was like okay so if one person can do x it's really simple right 100 people can do y let's just get 100 people on board this is this is not you know we'll, this, there, there won't be any barriers to entry and and of course we went from one extreme to the other we went into take on the world mode we wanted a hundred person company we wanted to scale this thing. We wanted to revolutionize recruitment. We even were, you know, we were talking about, okay, why don't we start bidding clients differently? Well, let's, you know, this whole contingency fee-based thing, let's just get rid of that. Let's start bidding people by the hour, which, you know, why we're the only trade that doesn't do it. So we even tried going down that road. We, you know, we were taking everything on. And of course, you know, it didn't work out. We didn't become the hundred person company. And uh, as, as quick as we started, we realized that maybe we'd have, we, you know, what, do you think, what was the biggest, like, challenge with that tell us what, what what stopped you from well i think two things um hiring the volume of people the volume of people that, that that were right for our business that was a constraint you know we our headquarters were in milton Keynes, not in london so we didn't have critical mass um in london you know you and i've got obviously i've got experience of recruiting in london i set a business up in london london it's the opposite you've got lots of great people but you've also got lots of great recruitment businesses that also headhunt from you so that's your challenge was retaining staff in London, whereas in Milton Keynes, it's different. It's, tr it's trying to find the critical mass and good people that you can bring into that business was the, was the challenge. And then when you've got them, training them effectively, scaling the business effectively and retaining them as well. So then, then suddenly this whole thing starts to go into a new direction. And to be honest, Sean, that's an area that um, we made a decision that I wasn't going to focus on because we made the right decision then, and um, which was I've, I, as a founder, have still got to lead from the front because as soon as I come off the tools, we didn't have many senior recruiters in the business at the time that people could look up to, aspire to, and also... What, the three, what were the other three founders doing? Well, the MD basically was strategic. Um, one of the other directors um, uh, was more around the people side. And then the other, and then myself and and the Hayes IT director, we were we were on the coalface right. uh, recruiting. So and that was a great decision because for us then, it's sort of a self managed business. You lead from the front and and and. So would you let the hiring and training and all the people ops bit be the other guys do, and you were like you were 100%. out you were outwardly facing. Yeah, and and that's just in my makeup. I, yeah. I'd sit in management meetings and I you know and I'd be. You, you could just see me glaze over. I, I, I wanted to get on. I, being with the clients, doing placements, deals is the bit that I, I really love. And I'm st I still love it. You know, I've got the floor here behind me. I sit out there. I don't sit in my own office. No. That's the bit I love. And I think that's the bit we really did well on on capitalizing. And there is a there is a part in our history where I came off the tools. And that's where things actually started going wrong. So when was that? What year, what year was that? 
2016. And the reason that's well, that's well after this bit, then, isn't it? That's well after this bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you got. I mean, obviously, you start in the dot com boom. Then, yeah. Where were you then in going into the financial crash? So 2008, 2009. Yeah. So that so that was a, a poignant time. So we grew the business rapidly. So we got. I mean, I think the highest headcount of Milton Keynes was in the 30s. And, mm. the, you, you, and, and we're in that place where we couldn't put a foot wrong. I remember our accounts team having to hire another administrator because they were struggling to get the volume of invoices out. We, you know, we were a proven perm business, but we knew we had to move into contract recruitment because you, there's no, so there's no real value. That's not fair to say there is value in perm recruitment. But if, if you are thinking about some sort of event at the end, yeah. it's the contract numbers that count. And we were schooled in that. We had a lot of people tell us that. So we went after contract recruitment and our administration team couldn't keep up. We were doing exceptionally well. I mean, it was it was a good two years where I remember we just couldn't put a foot wrong. And um, but unfortunately, as directors, we were all growing up and some of us were growing up in different directions. And internally, we didn't see eye to eye on a number of key key aspects of the business. And then we made a decision actually to to, to to split the business. And the Hayes IT director, he left. So we bought him out. He decided right. to, to go on and do his own thing. Um, I took the initiative to go down to London. So I wanted to take our brand into London and build a secondary recruitment business going specifically after tech into banking. It's no secret that recruiters are always notoriously time poor. And, you know, the huge demanding goals that, we all put upon ourselves to be successful. But today's sponsor, Talent Ticker, have specifically designed or were designed to help recruiters get ahead of their, you know, the most time intensive tasks like sourcing, prospecting. Um, and they do that by giving you really powerful predictive analytics, um, a database of candidates with more than 600 million profiles and integrations with your classic recruitment tool. So they call themselves the Bloomberg of recruitment and they're able to give you real time data around companies that are, um, you know, growing, merging, going through IPO, all the different things that are going to predict hiring behavior, um, as well as source candidates that perhaps are not even on other platforms. Any recruiter who uses this tool um, will be calling the right person at the right time for the right reason, which is just, you know, what we all need. So if you're interested, request a demo at talentticker.ai. Mention Hoxo for a free personalized lead list of candidates or hiring managers of your choice. Um, the information and link will be in the chat, um, both on this LinkedIn Live, but also um, attached to the podcast. So I'll have a little scroll and read as well. My philosophy was, well, not philosophy, but the analogy was, well, come on, it's London, right? There's there's thousands of good recruiters in there. We, You know, this shouldn't be difficult. Um, we've got a good brand. We're progressive. Um, let's headhunt a couple of key people who can lead that banking space for us. And we'll scale around them like we've done in Milton Keynes, but on a on a larger scale. But we didn't do it with money. You know, we I, I had a thirty thousand pound overdraft with NatWest as my cushion. We were funding it through the MK business, but it was done on a shoestring. So I took one of my best recruitment consultants at the time with me. We had a two person office in Holborn, and then we went again and we scaled it again. Yeah. Um, right. and 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 that's where. I then really cut my teeth as a business leader and as a as as a as an MD because typically that's what I was doing. I was a managing director of that business. I was responsible for everything, but I still had my day job because it was my responsibility to build out the client base. 
And we headhunted a, a very proven um, tech into banking recruiter, well known on the circuit, a real character. Um, and he led that area. I led the technology area. And again, it was a it was a great success. Um, we grew the business within 18 months to 20 people. We had um, exclusive partnerships with four, maybe five of the top investment banks. Right. Um, we had a really good team of people, predominantly graduate recruiters that we trained ourselves because we just we'd had a lot of bad experiences with senior recruiters, just mm. not not working out. Um, and and if I'm honest, I just wasn't cut out to deal with people's baggage and i'm sure you've heard these stories sean but you know we've all got baggage right recruiters have but some of the stories i could tell you about some of the things that happened to us in london um something tell it give us one story um okay so um a, a senior recruitment consultant who came with very proven banking experience faked his own mother's death Oh my God. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't laugh, boys. No, faked his own mother's death. What, though, to get out of the of what? Well, he'd written a, a number of deals that were falsified. <laughs> Fortunately, right. we were not paying commission up front. So it just didn't it, yeah, he had his own issues up back at home. Um, one of our other consultants, I mean, it's just nuts. We were we had a client meeting, it was probably one of the most important client meetings. We invited the client on site. Our one of our senior consultants who's meant to be leading the meeting went out the night before with his girlfriend to celebrate his birthday, came in with handcuffs on because he couldn't basically, they'd lost the key. And we, I had to escort him to the local fire station to get him to cut out, get them to cut him out of the handcuffs. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Sean, I, one day I probably will write a book on it. And, and oh, look, the, the characters that I'm, the people I'm talking about are great people, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, and, and, at the time, probably one of the most stressful times in my life because I'm trying to do everything. And I wasn't doing it particularly well. I think I was doing well on the client side, but on the people side. So at this um, point now, you didn't have the you didn't have your colleagues. You were looking after it all. I was looking after it all. I had support, but I was looking after it all. And look, I loved it at the time, but you know, it it it's tough. And 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 I look back on what would I have done differently. Well, I wouldn't have run it for a start. I would have pulled in someone who just had it on control so I could have done the bit that I'm passionate about and I love. And secondly, I would have come into London with a huge amount of investment. We didn't. We tried to, we, you know, we grew it organically. The problem was we were attracting some great people who loved our story. But, you know, they, uh, the, 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 the turnaround on people was just, you know, immense. As soon as people were starting, they were being headhunted out for another 10, 15K more on their mm -hmm. base salary. And it, it was just an explosive time in the city yeah. where the tech banking market was flying. And of course, that's what we piggybacked in on. But that was our challenge, retaining good people. Um, you know, I really enjoyed working with everyone we recruited in, in London. Um, but How it did came, that change then? When did it come to an end? Or when the banking space crashed at sort of two, it was, well, it was, it was post 2010. We had, I remember we were, we were working with, as I said, four or five of the top banks. Um, and that was all lockdown relationships on contract. And we'd probably be on a daily basis, five to 10 contract recruitment jobs, brand new a day that were just coming in. And in, and in that space, it was really rat race recruitment. It, it really opened my eyes up to how recruitment how really worked. Like, yeah. I mean, I'd, I had, I'd, I'd work on, so we had a lot of small clients and but we'd won a few big accounts and, you know, they just released three contract roles at 5 p.m. on a Friday and you'd be like, I'm about yeah, to fucking, You couldn't go home. You're about to leave and you're like, fucking no chance. Yeah. It, I think that was probably one of the things I, I think burnt me out a bit. I was a really big biller in contract, but I never saw a different side of recruitment other than yeah. fast, ridiculous pace. And I'm 
now I look at what I do, I think I'd have been, I probably would have been better maybe over a career in in a, in a, in a more of like a per market or something where I could take a bit more time yeah. on things. I was a, I was a lunatic. I suppose I was good at it, but I'm not sure I enjoyed it so much after a bit. I, I was shocked. I mean, and, and, and I sort of had to let our head of banking division do his thing. And he's like, look, this is what we're going to do, right? We're going to hire 10 grads. And when a role comes in, three grads will work the role simultaneously. I'm like, you what? Really? Mm. Trust me, they need to do this. And as soon as the role comes in, if we've not got the candidates within the first hour, forget it. Like, okay, all right. So this was, I was shocked. Um, and, and, and we did it. We nailed it. We had some great people. And, 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 and as I said, the leader of that area knows the space well. And it was all about building relationships with hiring managers and locking it down. But unfortunately, again, what goes up comes down. The banking market basically sort of post, I think it was 2011, 2011, 12, we, there was... There was basically a big hit in the banking space. And as quickly as these contract roles were coming in, they just dried up. And we had a team of 12, 13 people working in that one area. And within two weeks, we had to let the whole lot go. And it was, it was, it was terrible. And then, and then we had, you know, remaining probably another 12 or 13 people. And we'd let half the, half the company go and morale was low and then I was spending more of my time trying to pick people up and then they were just getting picked out by other recruitment companies and to the point we got down to about eight people and then I took the decision actually I think we need to shut this thing down and I'll I'll uh, I'll start supporting the HQ back in Milton Keynes and that's when we took the decision what, did that, what, what year was that then 2014 I think 14. it was how, yeah. how does that feel you know going from I'm the, I'm the founder of the London office. I've gone out. Did you move to London as well? Yeah, yeah. So my yeah. wife and I moved. My wife had a, a chair at the time. She was in uh, journalism. So she, it was good for her. So we made the conscious decision to move into the city. We had our own life there, friends. And um, and, and I just knew this thing. I, it was running out of road. Um, we, we couldn't get investment. Um, Milton Keynes was still doing really well. And, and actually, it came to that sort of realisation, which is, do I just want this stress anymore? Do I really want this? Mm. But I loved the London life and I still wanted to hang on to it, but not at the expense of my own well-being. Because, no. I, you know, it, it massively took its toll on me. You know, I, I was at the time I walked into London relatively sound, grounded. I knew myself. And I remember I remember having my first panic attack in 2013. I didn't know what it was. I thought I was going to die. Mm. We were doing a presentation to a client and I had to, I actually literally had to stop and ask my colleague to, to carry on the presentation. And I left the office. Um, and um, yeah, and it was it, it was quite harrowing. So I was carrying all this anyway, thinking as much as I want this dream and I want to create what we've set out to do, I don't, I can't do it at the expense of my own, my well, own what, life. Was, so is it just the fact that the market was declining in the, in, or the market, was it something else? Well, no, the, so the banking market had just, that was shattered. That had been annihilated. Well, the tech, tech into banking, certainly. Mm. Um, but our tech business was growing. That was still going. So Milton Keynes, you know, we were still doing, we were still growing year on year and we were at, at the pure tech play stuff. So it, it was a bit of an easier decision to make because it wasn't as if I, I, I needed to hold on to London because I had nothing to go to. Um, and then the way the business evolved, we ended up with, we bought our MD out and then was just two of us. So it was myself and a guy called David Freeman. Mm. Um, who, and we are still the original founders of Provide and David is, is, is the MD of the business. Um, and we, um, we had a meeting and we decided to wind London up. And then David was like, well, look, come on, let's just, let's just work on Milton Keynes. You can work from London. You can do it virtually. 
and um, you can stay in London, um, but we'll, let's let's grow Milton Keynes out. So that's what we decided to do. Did you <clears throat> you feel like take us? Well, how did you close it? Like, did you have to sit and let go, let people go, and say like, this is this is not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had to let we had to we had to close it. We had to have you know the whole exit meetings and 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 there were the good the, the core team that we had at the end were really gutted because they you know they've right. been with me from the start. Um, and it, it it was it was a sad it was a sad week. I remember that it was a whole week. I hated it because each day I was going in letting more people go, and people knew what was coming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and yeah, for me it, that those were dark times. They were really dark times because and it was my baby. Finally, I'd got to really prove to myself that I, it wasn't just about building a desk that did three, four hundred k a year. It was about building an, a brand new business, mm. and we got there. We, you know, it, it was looking really good, but as, as at its height, um, as I said, we were we were in the twenties headcount. We were we were turning over nearly as much as Milton Keynes, and Milton Keynes had been going for what eight years, yeah. and in two years we were doing nearly because we got such great contractor momentum in the banking space as we know contractors in the banking space obviously they you know we were we were doing contract deals in milton Keynes for sort of 400 to 600 pound a day or in banking it's up to you know some of the some of our candidates were being paid two thousand three thousand dollars a day Hmm. so it's just it's just complete it's a complete game changer yeah but it comes with its cost it comes up with a price as well so you say you, you panic attacks you close it down how long did you stay in London for? So we did um, We did another, so I did a year in London and working, I was commuting. Working virtually. Working right? remotely, but I was useless at that. I just couldn't yeah. get, I just, I needed an office. It was, it, the remote working then, it was nowhere near where it is now. And even now I struggle. I, I, mm. I'm, you know, I'm in the office. I'm in the office five, four days a week. I do one day a week at home and I love it, but I just, I just long to be in here basically. I'm just that kind of character so i struggled basically with the virtual piece and then my wife and i took the decision we you know we wanted to settle down we were talking about children and unless you've got for us stacks of cash in london it's not happening raising kids and we just didn't want to do that and where we're from we're from a village outside milton Keynes. you know what we basically could buy in in this village for what we were looking at in london you know it's not yeah it's not even comparative there's no comparison so we took the decision to move back and then we started then working on milton Keynes. basically my wife gave up her career in the city she became a yoga teacher which is what she wanted to do anyway and she can do that anywhere yeah so that worked for her and then it was focus on on the hq and milton Keynes and let's grow it out basically okay so that takes us to what Five, five, six years ago. I'm just mindful of time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Five, six years ago. How has it evolved then? So where and, and okay, and your role. How did your role keep evolving to where it's got to? Today? So, so, so the interesting part of the story is that, and this is where we made the mistake. So you know, we had 25, 25 people, I think, around that point, and we knew that basically I, I was one of very few that could bring in big accounts that we could scale around. And what we what we tried to do was take it to the next step, which is, well, let's, as opposed to building these accounts from the ground up, you know, me going in, doing placements, winning hearts and minds, winning C-level people over and then saying, right, come on, why don't we take your recruitment on as your recruitment partner? We, we decided to basically productize it and say, well, let's, let's just, let's go after the MSPs and the RPOs, right? We can do this. Bit of content, glossy brochures, case studies and we had a lot of them then by that that point i'd had you know probably 12 to 15 
decent clients where we'd build millions of pounds with, where we'd lock down recruitment with them, we'd push the competition out. And that's, but I'd done it from the ground up, Sean. It wasn't an overnight thing. You know, no. some of these relationships took years to build. Yeah. But let's productize it. Let's do it. So then we took this new mandate out to market, which is what I was leading. And it's it's tough, right? Because you've got proven RPO providers out there. You've got Alexander Mann, you've got Resource Solutions. They've yeah. they've been around a long time. They've you know they've got they've got their cost ratios right. They've got all of the content, and we were going up against them as the new kids on the block, and we struggled. Yeah. And we really struggle because we're going into quite big environments, unknown to people, an unknown entity saying, well, look, you know, we can take on your 250 hires a year um, with, you know, we've done it for these clients. But unless you've got proper relationships or you've got more compelling case studies and information, which we didn't have, yeah, and it's yeah. just that simple. It's it's just a no. It was a no go for us. So we, I spent a couple of years trying to do that. Now, don't get me wrong. We still won some big accounts, but we didn't get it to where we wanted to go. But I came off the tools and I was in this sort of BD role, pure BD, go out there, win customers. And it was OK, but it just wasn't my best moment. I wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve. And then I started to lose momentum. And if I'm honest, interest in it. You know, wow. I started to fall out of love with it a bit because it was just like, I don't, I'm lost in it. I, you know, I'm having these conversations. I'm trying to bring these customers in, but I've got nothing. I can't, I can't connect with them because I haven't done recruitment for them. And that was the disconnect. Um, and that's when TXM came along. Um, because at that point we was, we were very much still focused on, we don't want this life. We don't want it to be a lifestyle business. We want an event. So when, you've always you've always said that you've always kind of known at some point yeah. you want to sell it or be or or have an event where people come in investment whatever. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and and um, and at that time we had a company who approached us to say, look, we're building this sort of they called it like a it was a bit of like a layer cake model where we're just going to basically acquire a load of recruitment businesses, stack them in, go to a PE and say, right, we've got a twenty million pounds. EBITDA figure on this, sell it to us for a multiple of 10, and you'll get a much higher multiple on, on what provides worth. I was like, this is great. Right? Hold on, mm. we got it. Now we've cracked it. So we went down to see these guys in London, and it was terrible. It was awful. It, we just got a really bad feeling about it. They were stacking us in, they were going to lump us in with a, with a number of other very similar tech businesses. There was so much conflict of interest. We could see internally that, like, hold on a minute, we've these other recruitment businesses are doing the same stuff as us. So how's it going to work? I don't get it. And it just didn't feel right. And we didn't have a good meeting. And at the time we were talking to TXM because TXM basically wanted to buy a brand office that we owned, but they were in the market that we weren't. So it was a medical brand that provide owned long story. I won't go into detail. Um, and my business partner at the time, David met, met Kieran, who was uh, the, the CEO. And uh, we were obviously very hesitant about it, about somebody taking our brand on, but, he wanted to have a conversation with us and then the rest is history. But we soon realized actually that there was a lot going on in TXM and the conversation started growing and, and they were talking sort of in the very early stages about this kind of model, but in a different way. But actually what happened, they, they loved our story. I think they, they invested in myself and David and the two founders invested in us. They took a, a stake in provide and basically supporters. So we didn't actually go into group, but we were part owned by them um, and we came in as their niche technology supplier to complement the, the verticals that they're working. And their verticals have been traditional sort of blue collar, white collar engineering. So they're really heavy, heavy in 
um, automotive utilities, rail was a mass is a massive area and concern mm -hmm. for them. Construction, but they did they had a tech business, but we were complementary to that, and we were bought into sort of you know bolster that side up, um, and and that's then when the, the the story really starts unwinding because obviously TXM just a different entity. You know, this is a this is a group business now that's two hundred and fifty million turnover. Um, it's got eleven recruitment businesses now in in situ as a as a group as a, gr a group holding um and and we are one of them now um and that and that business is is growing they're, they're growing through acquisitions um but the nice setup with txm's model is one i really like the people who are right at the top in group i they're, they're good friends we go out for, you know for beers with them i enjoy their company i trust them um but secondly they they're working towards an event which is what i've identified with and that's where we want to, we want to take provide um so with the setup we have with them is that we are now officially into their group we have central services that support us so we've got a mm. hr team now mm. who can support us through thick and thin i'm not sure about the handcuffed situation <laughs> <laughs> yeah check that in check that on this week let me know absolutely um but you know we've got h we've got hr services we've got it services but the big thing for me is shareholder value. So, you know, I, I had a I had a big stake in Provide, which is a small company. And um, and there's two things that you realize as a recruitment business owner is that actually the value of the shares is nothing unless you've got someone who wants to buy it. Yeah. And I think that the reality for us was before we signed the deal with TXM, we were looking at the potential of actually, OK, if we sell this, how are we going to do it? And we soon realized that unless you're going to scale the business you've got a lot of investment there's a you know you've got a pe or a vc behind you to do it you, there aren't many exit strategies you, there aren't many options to, to actually sell a recruitment business because it's not that they're not desirable but there aren't many people in the market saying i want to buy a tech recruitment business but you know 10 to 15 million turnover it's like well, who, who does txm bought us into the group and now we've got we you know there is a plan to have an event probably not a trade sale but it will be some sort of sale in the future time scales to be confirmed but now i have something to hold on to now there's light at the end of the tunnel now the 20 years of absolute blood sweat and guts could eventually cash out and i whether i'll be sat with you on in my speedos in dubai on a beach somewhere who knows right <laughs> But um, I'm not doing it based on cashing out. <laughs> just time out for me. Like, well, time out. But you know, you know what I mean. I think it's mm. it's not. Yes, of course. Look, I'm, I'd, I'd be a liar to say it was. It is about a cash out for me because I've worked so hard all my life. You know, and I know this podcast is about sort of you know what do I do outside and family time. But at the moment, if I'm being brutally honest with you, Sean, I'm sacrificing everything for this. Well, do you know what? But just to stop there, that's a good point. Like this show is actually it's funny because it's a. The RAG stands for recruitment agency growth. Now that could mean anything. I don't, I don't, yeah. that does not mean everyone has to exit and make millions. It doesn't mean, you know, it could be whatever it is. I don't give a shit what it is. I, I'm, I'm passionate about speaking to business owners about how they've done what they've done and whatever it is. Um, what I love about you is you've been very honest about the fact that things, certain elements have gone wrong. You are not the right guy for certain. I reckon a lot of founders are quite ego driven and it's very hard to let go. And like, I don't actually manage much in my marketing agency anymore. My business partner, Amma, does. And, and yeah. I, you know, he actually told me in April last year, you're getting in the way. Like, you're not adding that much value. You're so obsessed with this coaching business. Go and fucking do it kind of thing. Leave me yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. And it was it was actually like, because I was the brains of it all. It was like, 
was a real hit to my ego at one for a bit that that could it almost I didn't want it to work without me. And then, but then when I was like, actually, this could work without, and it got my head around. Now I have like one maximum one hour a week with the business. If that, yeah. I barely don't even have that. And and it's running well. So, but but not many people would would do what you've done and make those shifts. Now you've mentioned you've gone into a big brand, 250 million turnover. You've gone from owning your own shit for 20 years to now effectively reporting into someone. Yeah. Before we get into the bit about your family, because I want to touch on that, what the hell does that feel like? Because that's the bit that puts me off with an investor, if I'm honest. I yeah, don't yeah. ever want someone telling me what to do again. <laughs> um, do you know what? Honestly speaking, it feels really good. And it feels really good because I've got, we've got, I go back to default of what I'm saying about the TXM group. And look, I'm not pitching. This isn't, this podcast mm. isn't about them, but um, they're good people. The founders are great. Um, they, they are supporting us through thick and thin. We've had some terrible months. We've had months where we've got no had no cash. They've not even asked questions. They've stepped up for us. They've supported us. What TXM are doing is giving me the ticket to get to the end of this. And and for me, that's that's what I'm driven. And it doesn't really come at a huge cost. Yes, I have to report. We report to a board, but that board are consultative. They're there to help us grow. They are the grey hair we never had. You know, if I look at the history yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that real or is that? Uh, yeah, no, mine is real. <laughs> Do you have to keep this up? Uh, yeah, you're looking good, actually. Yeah, at least you've got the fringe line. Mine's mine's still going backwards. <laughs> um, but I think TXM for us have been great because they they've given us experience. Look, they're a proven business, right? They grew this thing organically. They're one of very few outside of the bedroom recruitment story who've said, right, we're, we're building a business now in the in the hundreds of millions. Um, and and I think that, that hat off to them. There's 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 a good team there. They're consultative. They give us. They're driving shareholder value for me. They're bringing. They're acquiring more businesses that complement us as a team. I've now got global reach. I can talk to any client and and wholeheartedly tell them I can recruit in APAC. I, rec I can now recruit in Central Europe locally. Yeah. We've got we've got you know division in the Middle East as well. So there's so much there's so much more upside than getting tangled up with I've now got a boss that I need to report to because that's just not the environment at TXM. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's not that kind of environment. And the the companies that they're bringing into group are, are fantastic, you know. And they're and it really co contrary to this old uh, previous model that we were going to sign up to, where there's co conflict of interest. You know, none of us are doing the same thing. We are the tech recruiter in the UK. Um, you've then got a tech recruiter who is Central Europe. We've then got tech in the States. We've got tech in APAC. And we're all starting to Are you to all work. under your own brands, though, rather than all being TXM? Or is that part of a strategy? To we are under the TXM group, but we retain our brand. Yeah. Because the brand is key. It's the, it's the central yeah. DNA. And I don't want to lose Provide's brand. And actually, it was them who said, when we build this model, you're not going to lose your brand. You won't lose your culture, your DNA. Because we've, we've acquired you for that. We're not going to start to dilute all of that and again that was a massive win for us because we're proud of what we've achieved at provide and the companies are different but they all do work so for me now having that global reach having the a light at the end of the tunnel being able to drive real shareholder value. don't get me wrong i've got a much smaller stake but i've got a stake of 250 million pound turnover business now this is serious um and you know, and, and I'm and I'm in contact with the group CEO and all of the team, and you know it's 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 totally transparent. There's no hidden agenda. We're on the same journey. We're signing up now to a timescale, and 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 for me, I've fallen back in love with recruitment, Sean. I know this sounds a bit 
a bit mushy, but I have. I, I've got a new lease of life. Um, they've kept my role simple again. They've supported me to go and do what I'm really good at. I'm bringing in my clients. I'm going back to recruitment. As I said, I'm in the office. I, I work long hours, but I love what I do. My wife understands that. The, you know, I still get time to see my kids, but I, we can talk about that in a minute and how I plan around that. But I love what I do again. And that's for me, you know, TXM have given so that you've had back moment, to me. You've had moments where you've not loved it then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Last year was a, a dark year for me because again, we were, we were going for a place where I was trying to, trying to get my role sorted. And if I'm brutally honest with myself, and, and again, this came out when I was talking to uh, one of the founders at TXM was, I just didn't know what my purpose was. I was, yeah. I just couldn't get it right. And I just keep going back to default, which is at the end of the day, and I'm not arrogant about it. I am really good at recruitment. I'm bloody good. I work well with my clients. I love what I do. I love scaling businesses. I'm a lot more than just chasing a deal because I've grown up. It's not the days of £20,000 a month. Let's shut up shop and go to Prague. I've, you know, great memory. We're a lot more mature as a business. We are about helping clients and scaling them. And that's the bit I get up early in the morning for. And I'm working now with some really interesting businesses. I'm working with pre-series A all the way up to FTSE 100 company, uh, FTSE 100 businesses. And they've all got the same problems. And I know I can solve them. And and TXM have just, that all they've done is steer me in the right direction. They've given me a bit of support. You know, you've met some of the team anyway. We've got a great L&D team. Um, and, I've, and I've got that support around me now to just re-clarify what I'm all about and yeah. set me off in the right direction. And now, and the great thing just finally about our businesses, we've also now got the opportunity to really partner up with some major businesses that they work with and take our tech digital footprint into those companies. And that's where it's really paying off for us. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. when it comes to your, your life, then you just said, you know, you've, you're sacrificing a lot. Your wife's very supportive. Tell us, you've got children tell us a bit more about the family and what your setup yeah. looks like yeah so um yeah so wife and two children two young children a daughter who's three and a son who's five so you know these are very precious times as you well know um i love being a father it's it, it's probably uh, uh, alongside owning a great business and 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 working with the likes of txm you know being a father to me uh, has massively changed me as, a, as an individual it's certainly knocked off the illusions of well just being self-centered and selfish about me 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 you know now i've got i've got to take care of these two little individuals who are just starting out and i love it i love it right i've, I've genuinely have taken to it really well and i love spending time with my children and the wife of course it's brilliant we're a great unit um but again in the spirit of just being honest with you um I've had to prioritize. I've got to prioritize this next couple of years. Um, it has to take priority for me because I'm working now towards the greater good of something where if it works, I get the opportunity to step out of something and have options, have actually options to look at what I do next. Mm. And, 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 and those options. And obviously one of the first options on the, on the cards, hopefully is to get back time so that I can really spend quality time with my family and 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 obviously enjoy um their development and obviously you know and what, they what does that look like then in terms of prioritizing work at the minute what what does a day or a week or a month look, genuinely look like what's changed um okay so the so for me 6 30 start feed the kids in the morning fight you know obviously kiss them goodbye send one off to school the other one goes to, to nursery or she's staying back with the wife leave the house just after seven i'm in the office at half seven to quarter to eight and I will work until seven o'clock at night on average, sometimes later, get home, 
kids are in bed. Well, if I can get home at seven, they're not in bed. They're just get going to bed. Get do the bedtime thing with the children. That's the big thing for me. It's really important. I do bedtime if I can. So do bedtime with the children, and then um, and then I'm I'm it's dinner, and then I'm probably back on the tools if I'm doing some sort of senior headhunt campaign because you know recruitment never sleeps, as they say. No, it, doesn't. it doesn't. It doesn't. And and for me even with the world we live in now around this whole piece around sort of, you know, the virtual environment and electronic messaging, I, it's all about getting on the phones. It's all about speaking to people outside of ours. Even with people working at home, um, there was this era where you could get hold of people and it was dead easy. When we had COVID, it, you know, our recruiters were, it was dead easy just to talk to people, but people are in routines now. And even when they're working at home, you can't get hold of them. So again, late at night, I'm still talking to people. I'm still working with my clients. You know, I've got WhatsApp groups with some of the big clients that I work with about how we're looking to scale some of their businesses and how we're looking to change things. And it, it just doesn't stop. And I'm doing it because of the end goal, but I also am doing it because I, I do genuinely love it. I really enjoy it. I really get a kick out of watching some of these companies change and grow. Amazing. Well, I've got a few questions. Obviously, with in light of current news, I don't want to go into too much about it because yep. I just honestly like I don't I'm, I'm I can't keep reading the news about Russia and Ukraine. But yeah, what what impact have you had? Have you seen any impact as a business yet? Are we are you expecting an impact? Not not yet. So some of the so f the only direct impact that I'm hearing about as it stands a moment, and it is early days. But look, you're right. I mean, the atrocities are just terrible, and I am expecting that this this could potentially this could change for us. Um, the impact that we're seeing at the moment is with some of the clients that we're working with. So, you know, in the tech space, um, a lot of offshoring and outsourcing goes to Eastern European yeah. countries and Ukraine is top of the list. There's some amazing yeah. devs out there. So some of the clients we're working at the moment have had to cut cut their ties with these dev teams yeah. or we're hearing stories that dev teams are working <laughs> at ridiculous hours. You know, they'll be working at three in the morning when they can get some some clarity or rest from the the shelling that's going on around them and it's literally that bad um so yes we're seeing the immediate impact is it having an effect on us as a, as a business at the moment no are our clients anticipating that you know this potentially could tip into a recession and no but yeah i wait with bated breath on that one sean yeah i think i think the biggest concern is this is the knock-on impact of of isolating russia economically like what because yeah. it will like the, you know the sanctions to russia will come back to us and it's 100 in so many directions russia will be you know they'll be connected to every industry in so many ways it's yeah. one of you know how fast will that impact us not i'm not sure um i just don't want to treat it like at the beginning of covid when i was a, i'll be honest i did an episode where i was totally like blase thinking it'll last about two weeks and, and did you know it. two years but it's crazy how you know, the, the, it felt like the day that COVID ended officially in the UK in terms of all the restrictions, and it genuinely does feel like people are, are moving on from it right now. Yeah, well, then you're yeah, the fucking war kicks off on the exact same week, and it's like it's just what replaced next? it, really, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it has, and um. I've, we've so we've gone through yeah two recessions, two major recessions. We've gone through the banking crash. We've been here before. Look, I know there's going to be other recruiters out there that probably listen to the podcast or not in the tech space. And I feel really fortunate that we are because for me, I, I go, I always, you know, I go back to what I say about technology. Mm. It's quite resilient. You know, where other markets crash quite quickly and they crash, the tech space just seems to continue even when we are in the midst of a recession because it's the one area that businesses want to carry on investing in. Yeah. Because if they don't, they don't, they don't, you know, they, they lose market 
share competition. They're not competitive in their own space. So I, I'm not saying how, you know, I'm not clearly uh, insinuating that um, it's going to be so resilient that we're not going to see any effects because I'm anticipating that there will be. But at the moment, no. Right. I think the worst thing we can do, as you say, is, is, is start running around thinking, you know, it's the end of the world, clearly for us. Um, we've just got to keep running and going as we go. And, and that's all I'm focused on at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I anticipate that, that there's going to be there's going to be clearly some impacts um, for for us. Such a sad time. Um, I yeah, think for 100%. me, I just I'm just very conscious of how much I'm reading and not reading too. I mean, I'm I'm not ignoring it, but I'm not reading. You know, when I was on holiday, I was moments where I just found myself constantly reading the news, and I'm like, it's yeah. not it's not good for the brain. Like you can you can consume a bit each day, but you've got to move on. With you got I've seen a post on LinkedIn saying like, you know yes you should still promote your companies you should still talk about normal life because mortgage companies still you know we still need to make money we can't just talk about like what's going on is incredible but and i'm I'll keep raising the awareness but there still has to be other things we talk about otherwise you know yeah. everything stops and we can't afford that well i think and, and look going back to the covid i remember the i remember when boris locked us down in covid and I, I, we had 60 open vacancies that went down to nearly six within a, two weeks and we thought we genuinely thought we could lose the business and again credit where credit's due txm supported us during that time um i don't want I, I just yeah it's not a selfish thing we, we have to keep going i think what we're looking at doing here is how can we support that crisis outside yeah. with you know charitable donations and doing stuff but we've got to keep the wheels turning because we've got 20 plus people in here who will all rely on us exactly you know, for their own livelihoods. Um, so again, you and and I agree with you. I mean, I got into a habit of as soon as I got home at night, Sky News on what's going on out in Ukraine, and it's it it it, it takes it out of you. I mean, the, the you know the dilemma we've got going on at the moment is uh, trying to explain to my five year old about all of this because he's asking questions at the moment, and I've read a few. Uh, pieces of content on online about how you how you depict this and stuff and you know watching him trying to digest this and how much information do I give him and you know it, it's tough I mean look well, you can't ignore it but I think it's important for the sanity of everybody and to keep going that you have to keep pushing forward yeah, because yeah. if we all come to a standstill it's going to be even worse exactly exactly well Stuart it's been an absolute pleasure uh, it's been an absolute pleasure it's it's you know what Darren Ravella's commented saying, what an awesome person to share the ups and downs. Kudos to Stuart. Cheers, Darren. Um, <laughs> you you have given us a really honest, um, often vulnerable um, account of what it's like. Um, I'm super excited for you. I really hope it all works out. And I'm sure, yeah, sure. it will. I've met the guys at TXM. I know you're in, you're in great company. Um, if anyone does want to reach out, if there's anyone listening that thinks – Either they're about to start a recruitment company and they just want to learn, like you know, pick your brains, or someone who's perhaps in the thick of it and they're not enjoying it and they've been through those panic attacks or moments where they're not sure. Would you be open to someone just reaching oh, out and giving you hundred percent? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I've got twenty years of it, so the least I can do is try and give back, right? So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. All right. Yeah. Well, look, anyone who wants to talk, LinkedIn is the place. I'll make sure you're tagged in everything that we do. Yeah. Um, Stuart, um, what? I'll make sure as we we check back in on you and the and the guys and perhaps get some of the TXM guys involved next time. Yeah, um, no, I'm sure they'll be pleased. to um, to ensure that you know we what I like to do is interview people and see a year later or down the line, two years later, whether or not you know things are things are happening and why. And if not, let's talk about it. If they are, happy days. Um, so Stuart, I want to say thank you and uh, 
anybody that's listening, please, please, please do reach out to Stuart. And I'm sure you will get um, another honest account from him and, and some support. Appreciate it. Cheers, Sean. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. Or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.